today's section, session on accelerating action for food systems resilience. Um, Egypt's plans for COP27 and the role of CGIR, which is uh, being live streamed in the Burlock Dialogue site event. At the time of major existential crisis, the food insecurity, water scarcity, the energy crisis, pandemics, and geopolitical uh, tensions uh, in different parts of the world, how can we keep the momentum in implementing the commitments made at the Paris, uh, the, the Paris Agreement made in, in Paris in 2015? And how can we maintain uh, and raise ambitions to achieve the climate justice for all, but not just, and in particular, uh, for, the, for the most vulnerable countries, regions, communities, and uh, societies? Today, we will hear from Ambassador Ayman Tharwat on, on Egypt's strategic objectives that the that Egypt presidency wishes to achieve during the COP27 and carry it uh, beyond that. And from the CGIR colleagues and senior leadership and uh, our strategic partners and stakeholders on their uh, recent research portfolio uh, and how do they how do they intend to address these challenges and inform policymakers and the development partners in this regard? Before I give the floor to my colleague uh, Dr. Michael Baum, who is the Deputy uh, Director General of uh, Icarda Siwana, let me remind you all that we would really like to hear from you. And uh, in in that regard, if you could please submit your questions. Uh, on the ifpre.org, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag uh, AskIfpre on Twitter. Thank you. And Michael, the floor is yours. Okay. <clears throat> um, thank you very much, Ola. Um, uh, <clears throat> on behalf of, uh, of the ICARA Director General, uh, Mr. Ali Abu Sabah, uh, and uh, the Regional Director for Siwana, I like uh, again to welcome uh, uh, Ambassador Ayman Thawat and uh, the panelists uh, who are uh, the uh, senior leadership from the CGIAR. And uh, I'm very happy and honored that uh, this is live streamed <coughs> uh, as a side event of the Borlock, uh, Borlock Dialogue. Norman Borlock visited um, Tel Hadia near Aleppo in Syria in 1977, what became the International Center for Agricultural Research in the Dry Areas, ICADA, one of the one of the uh, uh, members of this uh, the one CGIAR. Uh, to put this in context, uh, the one CGIAR is the largest research organization in developing countries and uh, is a science partner for uh, agriculture and in climate stress conditions. Uh, one CGR, so it's 11, 11 centers, has taken an active role in the COP process, particularly in the recent years where uh, food security, uh, agriculture and food, secu food security has become a main topic in the, in the COP negotiation process. Um, in, uh, under the one CGIR, there are uh, um, a total of uh, 32 new initiatives being uh, formulated and being implemented as of this year. And uh, there are a number of global initiatives, 
Climber, for instance, the Climate uh, uh, Change Initiative is one, uh, Exxon's and Agronomy, Suppling for Livestock, uh, livestock uh, Initiative, another one. Besides the global initiatives, there are also regional integrated initiatives and CWANA, regional integrated, integrated initiative is one of those. And, uh, uh, and I'm proud that uh, we, um, <clears throat> as uh, the lead, IDT lead for, for the CWANA regional integ integrated initiative, we also operate uh, uh, quite strongly in Egypt as, uh, as one of our focus countries. CGIR is uh, <clears throat> taking uh, an active role and uh, contributing to projects idea, especially for two initiatives under the Egyptian presidency. Uh, one is the Action for Water Adaptation and Resilience, AWA, and uh, the other one is the Food and Agricultural System Transformation Fast. And uh, we have uh, officially pledged support for these initiatives and uh, are engaged in, uh, in active engagement and uh, with partner organizations. Recent uh, 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 proposal, uh, such as uh, the integrated desert farming systems and uh, the building climate resilience for, uh, for, uh, in the food and agriculture sector with a pilot site in Egypt, jointly uh, uh, executed uh, with the Ministry of Agriculture uh, and the ARC in, uh, in Egypt, are, are example of this uh, uh, contribution to these initiatives. Uh, the two initiatives uh, um, will be uh, uh, will be launched in the uh, COP uh, uh, in Sharm el Sheikh, and uh, they are supporting the Egyptian presidency uh, um, uh, directly. CJR partnership with FAO and Rockefeller Foundation will be hosting uh, the food pavilion at uh, uh, COP twenty seven, and more than forty site events uh, um, that address climate solutions science and innovation for green technology, capacity building and climate finance, among other targeting a wider range of stakeholders involving policymakers, scientists, donors, civil societies, organizations and, uh, and youth groups. <coughs> we will see in uh, in, uh, uh, in, in in a few weeks time. Uh, we as a CGIR, we stand ready to uh, support the Egyptian presidency <coughs> in this uh, very important task. Thank you, Michael, for uh, the, the, your welcoming remarks and for giving an overview of uh, CGIR's uh, uh, engagement in the COP process and reiterating that we stand ready to support uh, uh, the, the, the COP process to support the Egyptian presidency in its uh, endeavor to address climate change. Um, Ambassador um, uh, Ayman, we have now, we are honored to have His Excellency Ambassador uh, Ayman Tharwat, who will be addressing the key challenges and objectives of uh, that Egypt is aiming to address, uh, particularly at these challenging times. But we know uh, how um, able it is, the, the process is really in able hand uh, with, with uh, Egypt's presidents. Uh, the floor is yours, Ambassador Ayman. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Rola, so much for having me today. Thank you, colleagues. Um, well, just I would like to take you on a quick tour in COP27 concerning agriculture and what you will be expecting uh, during uh, the meeting there that it will start, of course, uh, on the 6th and it will uh, uh, conclude on the 18th. Um, I can tell you, of course, agriculture gets something 
really remarkable in COP27. Um, we have two agendas concerning agriculture. The formal agenda, and it is related to Cronivia Joint Work on Agriculture. And in this regard, we are having a workshop for Cronivia family on the third and the fourth. The reason of this workshop is to try to uh, break the ice between the parties to try to figure out uh, exactly what type of a decision we would like to have uh, to pave the way for implementation of agriculture under the UN of privacy. And this is one of the main things that we are, of course, hoping that the parties will reach by the end of uh, the COP. It was mandated in COP26 that the parties should uh, report back to COP27 on the special modalities of implementation for agriculture. So we hope, of course, once again, that parties can reach that. And this is what we should expect in the formal uh, agenda. I can tell you that agriculture had started under the UNF C since 2013. We have under agenda item 8 issues related to agriculture. This was continued up to 2017. Uh, and during this uh, 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 time in particular, a new agenda item was uh, performed for a roadmap uh, for a series of workshops that, of course, was concluded in Glasgow. And now it's time to report back on all the uh, uh, all the issues that it was discussed in the previous years so that we can determine what type of modalities we like to see at the end of uh, this process. Um, I can tell you still we have a gap between developed and developing country parties uh, on this regard and um, hopefully uh, hopefully, again, this workshop would find the means uh, to overcome this gap and to try to bring all the parties on the same page. This is what I can tell you on the formal uh, agenda. Of course, the presidency is keeping equal uh, uh, distance from all the parties. We are trying to have our positive impartiality uh, always to be there. Um, not only on the issues related to agriculture, but all, all the items. We believe that uh, the confidence building measures that we had started in uh, early this year actually is, is a foot hanging that uh, we should keep uh, up to the end of the COP. Um, on the informal agenda, like uh, Mr. Michael was saying and Rola had actually uh, pointed out, we have a number of initiatives that it will be launched during the COP itself. Uh, on those initiatives, um, there is a level of correlation and synergy. I can tell you it's range between 40 to 60 percent of the work that it's been done on the cross-cutting issues of the initiatives. Um, we have the FAST initiative, which is Food and Agriculture for Sustainable Transformation. And this initiative in particular is looking into ways and means to sustain and to increase the finance for the uh, agriculture and agri-food system. You, if, if you take the emissions coming from agriculture sector in particular, it's almost 10% of the world emission. But if you are adding the food systems to the agriculture sector, this is rising up to 32%. So what we really would like to work on is the part of the food systems itself, because this is, will do a huge part of transformation. And in the same time, we will reach 
um, targets that we were aiming since Paris Agreement um, and looking forward, of course, to have your inputs uh, uh, on that. So I can tell you that the aspirational goal of FAST is to implement concrete actions that would ultimately result directly and indirectly in improving the quantity and the quality of climate finance contribution to transform agriculture and food systems by 2030. And especially by 2030, because we are linking most of our initiatives that we are having to the SDGs. So this is the whole things that we would like to see. We don't want to have something that is not relevant to the international community work. And in the same time, we would like to see implementation happening on the ground. Um, I can tell you more that the document that it was formalized, it wasn't formalized only by Egypt. And this is the beauty of the initiatives itself. We had run into a number of consultations. It started in, in, in uh, April by the support of the FAO and ICARDA and other uh, um, international agencies who came uh, to uh, reflect on what ideas and to identify the gaps between the current initiatives that we have on the ground and the malfunctioning of those initiatives and what the type of initiative we would like to see at the COP itself. So this exercise had took place twice, once with the UN agencies and the other, and of course, and research institutes. And the second round was with parties themselves. And after that, we ran into some bilaterals in order to, to produce the document that it was published lately uh, um, on the website of uh, the uh, COP27. And of course, it reached a lot of you by different means. Uh, so I can tell you this is not a product of Egypt, but this is a product of the community itself that is fighting and um, for a real just transition for agriculture and in the same time we have a, a, a very balanced document between adaptation and mitigation. Um, I can just go furthermore in that to tell you that one of the main things that we uh, had kept uh, through the initiatives is the governance parts because we don't want to go to the COP and after that everybody would be um, expressing his happiness and after that we don't have a modalities for implementation otherwise this uh, initiative would rest in peace on our desktops and this is not the, uh, the, the, the intention of the COP presidency but the intention is to keep this momentum going from one COP to another this is why as well we are engaging with the climate champions we are uh, quite engaging as well with our colleagues in uh, United Arab Emirates, the one who will host the previous COP. And I can tell you even the previous COP that it was in Glasgow on breakthrough uh, uh, initiatives and the latest one that it was uh, launched during the presidency of uh, uh, UK concerning agriculture. We are taking this as well on board. So we are ensured that nobody is left behind and we have a balanced output once again between adaptation and mitigation. Um, for what we are opting in, 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 in that day during the launch of um, uh, uh, the FAST initiative, we will have a number of functions it started, of course, starting, of course, by uh, launching the initiative itself, and then we will have reflections from parties who would like to deliver some statements 
in favor of FAST or in favor of any other initiative uh, that it is on the ground and helps as well in implementation. Then we are moving into another session for Coronivia Joint Work on Agriculture to have an idea um, and to help the, the, the parties under the political guidance what they should do um, in order to have a concrete delivery by the end um, of the COP. Then we have a special meeting called from Malabo to Sharm el-Sheikh, and this one would be closed meeting for African and Arab uh, uh, ministers of agriculture to deliver on internal um, interest uh, that it was expressed in the summit in Malabo in 2014. This is a time as well to follow up. So even we are bringing some old um, stock that it happened before to see if there is really evaluation. What's the what had happened and what is the progress of work that it was done? And this would be, of course, evaluated by the ministers. Um, and then we will have a special sessions on finance, on innovation, and of course uh, uh, we have a session on aim for climate. This is would be uh, chaired by His Excellency the Minister of Agriculture and the State Department on Agri so the Department of Agriculture in U.S. and their, and our counterparts in United Arab Emirates. Uh, so this uh, as well uh, some reflections on what you will be expecting for agriculture in COP27. Moreover, like I told you that um, those initiatives are cross-cutting with each other. So like you mentioned, AWARE initiative, this is deals with SDG 6 mainly. And then you have the surge initiative, which is sustainable citizen urban for next generation. And this one um, as well, they have a water sector for making more cities to be resilient. Uh, and when we say resilience, so we are talking about the food systems, we are talking about uh, water quality, we are talking about sanitation, and we are talking about accessibility for, uh, um, for uh, electricity and other means that needs to build the real resilience of uh, uh, a city. So, um, of course, uh, it has more than one uh, pillar and each pillar is dealing one with food systems another one with water so you see the compatibility of the work that we are doing on the ground so we don't have like isolated uh, initiatives one thing that i would like to uh, to get your attention is that we are not annexing those initiatives uh, to special word like uh, fast Sharm sheikh or aware Sharm sheikh we are just keeping it fast aware or surge or i can and others just to make the other parties that it will take from us the presidency later on would be at ease in taking the part of the of that work and to try to build on the real implementation that we had started on the ground for your info as well we will have the launch of ICANN initiative this is on nutrition and it is supported by the ministry uh, of health and who in geneva and this is of course would be shared in uh, hopefully today the uh, final document of uh, ICANN initiative and after that of course it would be launched on the same day on the 12th on agriculture and adaptation day uh, this is in a very quick view uh, our uh, um, 
our preparation for COP27 in terms of agriculture. And of course, all of you, you are invited if you have the registration uh, to uh, go to the COP. We are not the one responsible for registrations, but registrations are through the UNFWC. So, um, of course, we are welcoming you in all open uh, sessions that it will be conducted on the 12th. Thank you. It's back to you, Rona. Uh, thank you, Ambassador Ayman, for a very comprehensive, informative and clear uh, presentation on where we are at, uh, and especially on the, uh, on the FAST initiative, which I think is, um, is a great initiative, and I'm sure we will have a lot of endorsement uh, of the process. Uh, and thank you also for showing the continuity between uh, what has started in Glasgow and uh, in Egypt and then leading up to um, uh, UAE when they will take up the presidency. Uh, I have a few questions from the audience. Uh, if you don't mind, I can, um, uh, would you like me to, to read them out one by one or shall I go ahead with the three questions to save on time? three questions at a time yeah i have 15 minutes more so. okay on uh, th there is a, a clear question on the coronivia uh, asking you um, uh, what do you expect from parties to to uh, uh, on on the coronivia uh, uh, agreement or or plan of action and um, uh, what what is um, uh, what is egypt's position or or how will egypt uh, push for a um, uh, an agreement, especially in its role of uh, being what what you call uh, as the Egyptian presidency, the bridge between North and the global North and global South. So this is one question that relates to uh, Coronivia, and if you can um, uh, elaborate further uh, on that. The other uh, question uh, relates to finance. And uh, you have said that uh, this is a COP about means of implementation. So how do you see at a time, at such a uh, challenging time, uh, uh, the, the ability to mobilize the needed finance. And I know how hard you have worked through the champion, but also through your range of uh, network to mobilize resources. So how do you see uh, um, uh, meeting those ambitions in terms of uh, finance? Over to you, Ambassador. Uh, thank you so much for uh, both those questions. Um, well, just reflecting on Corinivia, like I said before, we will keep equal distance from all parties. Of course, the Global South, including Africa, they are expecting implementation or even a document that can prepare for implementation on the ground. And this is why we would like to study the modalities of implementation. But what I can tell you this time when I was um, the chair of G77 and China for issues related to agriculture. I can tell you that this is the first time I, I hear from my colleagues as well in Annex One countries that they are ready to do something in this COP. And they would like to see uh, real things to happen on the ground. Maybe the differences between the both is completely on the procedural level, which is a very tricky thing. Um, for example, if you would like to see uh, uh, um, the African group is is hoping to have an, an entity like in a sort of an expert group or a, a subsidiary body that takes care of agriculture under the convention. And this is something very challenging 
um, even for G77 and China to go on with. But this is the quick reading on the of the floor. Um, on the other hand, you find the Annex One countries; they are more keen on getting um, applicable things that could be functionable for um, for implementation, uh, rather having all of these uh, structures. Uh, still, we would know more about the positions of the parties when we go to this workshop, the third and fourth. I consider this is not only a format of a workshop rather than having, uh, um, uh, like I say, informal, informal, uh, discussions on uh, on the way forward and this is the role of the presidency once again is to pave the way for smooth output that can serve the interest of all parties um, for the issue of finance um, I can tell you that in this COP27 uh, we will start the discussions on new global goal on finance uh, to be implemented post 2025 um, when I would say agriculture would like to have a share in that this is, doesn't mean that uh, agriculture doesn't have uh, a climate finance. No, it got a share of climate finance, but we would like to keep it either in its current format or to increase it to shape the food systems and to work on the mitigation in that part. So this is the challenge that we will be uh, facing related to finance and uh, uh, agriculture. Of course, it will not be one round, but it will be more rounds uh, to, to come in. And let me tell you that agriculture is a very specific economic sector. There is no one size fits all. So there is no one rule book that would be applied in North Africa, the same would be applied in Asia or in Latin America or North America or even European countries. Things are different because each one of those regions does have its own meteorological and hydrological um, uh, um, identity. So this is how it, it, it makes things somehow difficult when you go for the implementation, if you would like to have a flagship program for implementation. The um, other point uh, uh, would be the, um, the ideas coming from, uh, from the countries uh, as well, as there is no one size uh, fits all. There is no as well something that uh, can be uh, uh, generated as uh, one voice, even from the same countries that share the same region. So this is a very a challenging point that we are uh, uh, approaching. Um, just I will stop here. I hope that I had answered the, the, your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador uh, Ayman. Uh, there is one more question that relates to uh, the, the food trade and uh, uh, from uh, Mr. Mohammed Al-Ataoubli uh, from Egypt. He, has, um, he is asking how can, uh, how can we deal with uh, or, or reduce further restrictions on the food uh, trade? particularly amidst uh, uh, global challenges and crisis and, uh, uh, um, and also pandemics that we've experienced with, uh, with COVID-19. Uh, over to you, Ambassador. Well, the issue of, uh, uh, of trade is something different. There is like um, uh, agreed 
point here not to take the issues of trade on board of the environmental uh, staff meetings. But I can tell you, for example, one of the challenges that it will be facing the developing countries would be the labeling, for example. Um, the labeling here goes to the environmental footprint, whether it is water, whether it is CO2 or methane or other. So um, this part of labeling, labeling is quite challenging in the discussions. And I think that the people who are expert in the uh, uh, WTO, they are quite, uh, uh, of course, more aware by, by the things that uh, I am uh, talking about. Um, but at least we are now in, 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 in a position is to think about how to bring the 1.5 alive in terms of the emissions coming from the agricultural sector. And in the same time to secure the uh, appropriate finance uh, for that to happen. And just we have to know quite well that the agriculture sector is a very risky sector and maybe uh, some tools of, uh, of new innovative financial tools, for example, is how to de-risk this sector in particular, so that we can make it more attractive for investors, more attractive for people to increase their capital in. So I, I think that this is the real challenge that we are facing right now worldwide. Other things related to trade could be, of course, solve it under the uh, um, appropriate umbrellas or even bilaterally between uh, between countries thank you ambassador ayman uh, we definitely look forward to hearing more from you uh, during the cop and uh, we look forward to to attending uh, uh, the the special ministerial session and especially the one that brings partnership between uh, Africa and the Middle East. I think this is an excellent uh, initiative as part of your uh, of, of the launching of the FAST initiative. We would love to have you staying on with us. It's uh, but we understand if you need to to leave given your busy schedule a couple of weeks before uh, before the cop so thank you again very much and uh, it and and it's an honor to have you thank you so uh, much and thank you thank all. you uh, let me now turn to um uh, miss claudia sorry doctor uh, uh, claudia ringer uh, who will be who is the deputy director for environment and uh, production technology in uh, at ifpri and uh, uh, dr claudia is a uh, is a well known expert on the challenges that egypt is facing in its uh, food security and will be uh, the floor is yours uh, dr claudia uh, for your presentation we will share the presentation yeah yeah thank you rola for those kind words yeah it's really i think a great choice for egypt to be the host for cop 27 and i hope that my presentation will explain why i think it's a great choice egypt has a hot desert climate and it basically does not rain at the same time the country has a vibrant agricultural sector chiefly to the, due to the Nile River that has supported irrigation for thousands of years. Given this situation, no worries about variability in rainfall because there is none, no forest fires. Can climate change really do anything to the country's agriculture and food systems? 
Next slide. The answer is a resounding yes. In fact, climate change is affecting all of Egypt's farmers and consumers of food, but in different ways. So next slide, please. I'll show some of those ways. Based on these uh, three global circulation model maps that you see here, temperatures increase everywhere in the Nile Basin, where Egypt derives its water from. But the largest increase, the yellows, the reds, the darker greens, they are in Egypt. And here, all colors are increases. Even the nice blue colors are increases. Next slide, please. Mean daily maximum temperatures over the agriculture growing areas in Egypt, which is something we worry about for viability of crops. They are predicted to grow 2.2 to 3.7 degrees Celsius in the hottest months of July, August, and September. Crops sensitive to heat stress, like wheat and maize, are particularly affected. We also see higher crop water demand. And while there's almost no rain to start with, we take even more away from the little that there was. Next slide. As a result, we see large yield impacts on maize, fruits and vegetables, oil and sugar crops. They're mostly affected from heat and from water stress. However, all countries in the globe, on the globe, are affected by climate change, but not equally. As a result of that, food prices will rise by up to 20% compared to a no climate change scenario. Producers and consumers of food are adjusting. They're already adjusting today. Some will produce more food. Others will consume less food. Given Egypt's climate change exposure, the additional economic forces from changes in the ability to import food and changes in the ability to export food, you will actually see larger economic uh, declines in the food system of Egypt. Higher prices will reduce Egypt's demand for food imports, dampen demand for its exports, with negative impacts for both the Egyptian economy and, the, and for global food security. So it will become more difficult for Egypt to rely on global food markets, which is an experience the country is already familiar with. Next slide. As a result of climate change impacts on the agricultural sector alone, the calculated welfare losses for Egypt estimated at US $1.84 billion per year. So I believe it pays, next slide, it pays for Egypt to adapt, but also to mitigate, adapt to and mitigate climate change. Next slide, please. There are many technologies and practices in the crop, water and energy sectors, also in the livestock sector, that can support adaptation and mitigation of Egypt's agriculture sector. And these are really, truly urgently needed. Several of these are included in the country's nationally determined contribution to the UNFCCC, and there are also many other government strategies. Most of these technologies and practices and solutions are known. Some are partially in use, but many require more investment or local adaptation. We expect that to see some additional acceleration as a result of COP27. However, based on our modeling assessment, next slide please, many of these investments in these technologies are actually not sufficient to return to productivity levels without climate change. 
Across food crops, investments in climate resilient sea technologies provide the largest returns, but are insufficient on their own. And here in this particular table, all of the numbers on the far right highlighted in yellow. So those are the crops, maize, oil seeds, pulses, and sugar, where all of the investments we have tried, all of the crop and other economic practices cannot get Egypt, Egypt's uh, productivity back to a pre-climate change level. To conclude, next slide. Next slide. Climate change impacts in Egypt are severe. The country truly needs to adapt and mitigate because it already now imports around 50% or more of its food needs. This accelerated adaptation alone, just if Egypt alone would accelerate adaptation, it could, the country could improve its situation by reducing its crop imports. However, you know, Egypt alone adapting will not get us very far because global food prices would remain largely unaffected and far too high, depressing domestic consumption in Egypt. As the second largest economy in Africa, Egypt has the responsibility to support its fellow countries with both adaptation and mitigation. It also pays off for Egypt as fellow countries have large scope to grow food production and productivity that Egypt could rely on. If global adaptation and mitigation accelerates, then the country's food import bill would be lower and more food would be on the global market. So I think lots to discuss and still lots to do in COP27 and Thank beyond. You, Claudia, Thank you, for a very interesting presentation, which uh, uh, really highlights a lot of challenges as we see it uh, in, in uh, Egypt, but also in, in Africa, in the Middle East, and uh, um, but showing also that there are some uh, uh, interventions and solutions that technology brings, but also capacity and the, um, the, the mood of uh, regional cooperation that can really, that we really need to address adaptation and mitigation challenges. So I'm sure, and I'm sure there will be um, a good number of questions, uh, follow-up questions uh, to you, Claudia. So stay in there. Um, before I give the floor to uh, Dr. Juan Lucas Restrepo, I would like to remind uh, to remind you all to, if you would like to put in your questions uh, in the um, uh, in, in the address given to you on uh, if it, for for IFPRI on LinkedIn, YouTube, and uh, Twitter. Um, and now it's uh, my pleasure to introduce Dr. Uh, Juan Lucas Restrepo, who is the Director uh, General for Alliance Biodiversity SIAT. And um, he will give us a, 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 a sneak preview of the rich uh, uh, preparations and the, the events that uh, CGIR will be having for the food pavilion. Um, Juan Lucas, the floor is yours. Thank you, Rola, and uh, good to see you all, and great to see the ambassador and what he shared and, and his the commitment of the government on, of Egypt uh, in the preparation of, of COP27. Good to know that uh, this conversation is being connected, uh, for example, to the very important Borlog uh, dialogues. I'm here with my hat. We wear many hats in CGIR nowadays. My hat today is that of partnerships and advocacy in the system where I basically want to showcase what we are doing through the transition of 
of CGIAR in order to bring evidence across the centers, across the system in a tighter, more coordinated manner to support the parties uh, under their specific outcomes and goals in, in, towards COP27. So we, uh, as CGIAR, in dialogues with parties, in lots of conversations before the actual, uh, we actually meet in, in Cairo, we have basically prioritized three outcomes that we believe are critical for parties to make uh, progress. The first one is that uh, we now feel that it's very clear that uh, we are lacking and we need a framework with metrics for global goal for adaptation. Uh, uh, given uh, we are quite good in understanding uh, mitigation, how it's measured, uh, etc. We know that countries are making great efforts uh, in promoting adaptation and resilience of their production, their livestock systems, uh, as they get a lot of pressure and, and uh, through variability and other elements. We just heard from Claudia uh, some of those uh, examples. So we are a CGIR scientist in partnership with others, uh, for example, part of a group of high-level scientists uh, that are working under the Race for Resilience Initiative. And we expect to present a draft framework uh, to monitor this, uh, these goals uh, and, and, and progress uh, for COP27. Uh, so we need to ensure, and, and this framework basically uh, should be connecting uh, the aims to reduce risk and vulnerability to climate change, to strengthen resilience to climate shocks and by enhancing the capacity to anticipate and respond to extreme events, and of course to enhance a well a, a human a human well-being. So instead of looking at the framework for mitigation, where it's there is a direct relationship with greenhouse gas emissions and, and, and what can be achieved. In our case, we are proposing a more complex and comprehensive uh, framework for adaptation that needs consistency and comparability, but can allow us to compare across countries, across subregions, and across indicators uh, of vulnerability, exposure, uh, and risk or resilience. So that's one of the, our objectives uh, related to how we measure and monitor progress on, on adaptation. The second one uh, is related to, to the funding, and, and it's not only increasing uh, and pledging for increased funding for climate uh, adaptation and, and, and to build resilience, because we see that the share of, of international climate finance in the agriculture and land use sector has decreased from an average of 45% in 2000 to 24% in 2013. And it has remained at that, that, those levels. So we need to pledge to an increase of the funding. But it's not only that, but we need to ensure that these resources are directed and are accessible to the groups that are affected the most by these impacts, and that we use and promote appropriate mechanisms to deliver on these, on these efforts. So we also need here to promote an enabling environment for the effective utilizations of, of these still scarce resources, drawing and working with private, public sector, and, and a civil society, etc. And from the many examples and approaches that we and others have gathered, such as mainstreaming climate resilient practices into financial institutions 
and investor operations, or using technology platforms to leverage and bring these investments into small amounts to millions of small case, case scale farmers to bundle a, a financial services with inputs, training, knowledge, etc. That's our second uh, outcome. And the third one, and, and, and final one, is keep building understanding uh, and, and momentum about uh, the role that agriculture plays in building resilience uh, and, uh, and, and, and the need for climate adaptation. And we heard uh, from Ambassador, I mean, how important, for example, it is for Egypt and from his role as chair uh, of, of this, of some of, of this uh, work of the UN C Coronivia Joint Working Group on, on Agriculture and how difficult it has been for parties to agree on the institutionalization, the prioritization, et cetera, on, on this uh, uh, important working group that was officially uh, uh, constituted, but also to recognize how through FAO, CGIR, and others, we're already seeing this working group capturing very clear uh, initiatives, very clear uh, pathways uh, to achieve a climate-friendly agriculture, and how to not only acknowledge that formally from the parties, but how to move from pathways into very specific uh, commitments and, and implementation pathways. And there is lots of other stuff related to this objective, but just to, to start a closing, we also need to focus on indices, for example, uh, because they have this strong focus on energy and tend to exclude agriculture as, as countries feel a trade-off uh, uh, that if they mitigate emissions in agriculture, they end up reducing productivity and economic growth. But this is not the case every time. And there is scientific evidence that which, with work and effort, such as what we have promoted for years around climate smart agriculture, you are able to provide a, a framework with for triple gains, where you can achieve low emission, climate resilient development while ensuring food security and thriving livelihoods for farmers. And we see this happening in conservation agriculture in Tanzania. We see this in soil fertility management in Kenya, agroforestry, silvopastoral systems, etc. So we are also interested that these solutions we have learned about, we have helped develop over time, are mainstreamed for greater impact at scale. Very simple, well, not simple, ambitious, but, but clear objectives from our CGIR system into this important UNCCC process. Back to your role. Thank you, Juan Lucas, for uh, this very uh, comprehensive and uh, indeed the tour de table of um, uh, the key issue and, and the key strategic role that food is playing. And luckily, and it's really good that it, ha it has become uh, gone to the center stage in the negotiation process and uh, uh, and, and therefore uh, its transformative role. And thank you for showing solutions as well as the challenges. And uh, and these will be uh, in the food pavilion that uh, we, we uh, CGIR with FAO and Rockefeller will be organizing and uh, that breadth of issues will be hopefully well reflected in that. So we would like to invite everybody to visit the, the food pavilion 
at, at uh, COP27. Um, uh, let me just remind you all that, uh, and thank you, Juan Lucas, thank you very much. Uh, let me remind you all that uh, to put again your, your questions, and uh, but also if you can add the organization you are representing so that uh, um, so that we know uh, wh where you're coming from, not just your name. Some of them have sent anonymous question. It is okay, and uh, but we would like to to hear more from you to know who you are, so that we can engage better in the future. Um, I have now the pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Andrew Jarvis, who is Associate Di Director General uh, for Research, uh, Strategy, and Innovation. Um, uh, at the Alliance uh, uh, of Biodiversity and SIAT uh, in, in CGR. And uh, he will be telling us about the CGIR uh, research portfolio. Uh, uh, Andrew, the floor is yours. Thanks a lot, Rula. Thanks. It's a real pleasure to be speaking today. Thanks, uh, thanks for the invite to, to talk here about such an important uh, topic. Um, so I wanted to give a flavor of what the CGIR is doing um, in its portfolio um, on climate change. And, and just to start, I mean, just to say this is very much climate change is at the very core of what we're doing. Um, and it's expressed in the mission. The mission is to transform food, land and water systems in a climate crisis. And so, you know, we start with the mission, basically putting this at front and center stage. As, as basically the crisis of the 21st century, where, where obviously agriculture and food is right at the middle, at the center of it. And, um, and so both as a net, um, well, a, a pretty significant victim and very vulnerable to climate change. And we heard from Claudia about um, the, the dangers, for example, that Egypt is facing. Uh, but also as 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 a net across the globe, almost uh, thirty percent of emissions coming from agriculture and food systems. And so, so you know, it really is at the in 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 the eye of a storm. And anything that we do in really needs to put climate uh, front and center, and that's what we're doing. What we have is an initial. There seems to be a technical uh, error. Uh, the screen has uh, frozen. Um, if you give us uh, a couple of minutes to get back to you, thank you. Um, we will get back to, uh, sorry, yeah, um, we, we will get back to Andrew once uh, the, uh, the yeah. technique, ah, there, there you are, Andrew, there you are, can you hear me, Andrew, 
are still not able to connect. Okay, for the for the order of uh, uh, keeping in time and because it is being live streamed, uh, let me now move to the uh, uh, to to the panel session, and uh, we have um, uh, three distinguished uh, uh, panelists and uh, from representing different uh, areas of expertise. Uh, let me start by asking uh, um, uh, Adit Mukherij, who is a principal researcher at IMI and uh, on the IPCC. Uh, uh, um, uh, Aditi, uh, what is from what you have um, uh, heard uh, from Ambassador Ayman and from the CGIR uh, uh, portfolio and areas of strategic objectives where do you see uh, what what should be done to address uh, really food security and uh, climate change in the context of thank climate you change? thank you raula that's a that's a great question and i do have a short presentation if it can be uh, brought up yes um, yes yeah so um, I would I would answer your question in the context of water, but generally I think uh, what's important is um, both adaptation and mitigation needs to go hand in hand, and the absolute criticality of the agriculture sector is something that the ambassador brought out very well, and the very fact that there would be a lot more focus on agriculture, including investments, because that's exactly where the rubber hits the road, I thought was a was a very, very um, uh, encouraging kind of development. And I also totally enjoyed um, Claudia's um, uh, findings, because that actually resonates with some of our findings from the IPCC. So I am a CGIR scientist. My name is Dr. Aditi Mukherjee, and I had the uh, opportunity of working with the IPCC's latest assessment, the sixth uh, assessment report, and I was one of the coordinating lead authors of the water chapter. What I'm going to talk here very briefly today, and I think uh, the ambassador as well as Claudia talked about it, and I'm sure Andy would have talked about water as well if his connection wasn't bad, but uh, the, the underlying point is given that the COP is in Egypt and the lifeline of Egypt is nine, and the next COP will be also in the Middle East. It's just like, and now our IPCC finding is, is showing that water cycle has been completely disrupted by climate change. So water is absolutely critical for climate adaptation and mitigation, and water is also kind of a victim of climate change because water cycle has been changed affecting every aspect. Um, uh, next slide, please. So I'm going to very briefly talk about the work that we did in terms of adaptation. And what makes me happy is a lot of the options that Claudia showed are exactly the kind of options that we assessed in our uh, water chapter. That's in the working group too. And part of it is also reflected in the summary for policymakers. So what we found was that more than 60% of documented adaptation is in one way or the other related to water. Either people are adapting to water-related impacts and risks, people are adapting to droughts and floods, or they're using water for adaptation. They're using irrigation, rainwater harvesting for adaptation. What we also found was that there were several water positive, uh, you know, there are positive impacts of that adaptation happening across various aspects economic ones, um, economic um, uh, economic benefits, livelihood benefits, productivity benefits. 
What was not very clear, and that is where I think uh, my previous speaker, uh, Dr. Uh, Juan uh, Lucas, his talk about developing these metrics for effectiveness of adaptation makes so much sense, because what we find is that the literature does not quite, quite conclude that whether these adaptations are leading to risk reduction, climate risk reduction. Adaptation has benefits, but whether it is reducing climate risk is an is a unresolved question. Now, if we go to the next slide, uh, what's happening is right now we know a lot of adaptation is happening. It has a number of benefits. These are much of this adaptation is what CGIR works on, improved seed varieties, better water management, better land management, you know, and, and a whole lot of policies and institutions. So we have some knowledge and this is based on evaluation over 2000 papers, etc. But what we know about future adaptation, how much will these adaptation remain effective in the future? Actually, our knowledge is a little less there, and we have only could, could find around 40, 50 papers to assess in our IPCC uh, chapter. And our main, uh, main conclusion here is that, um, uh, so if you can just go to the next slide, please. Thank you. Is the, the main conclusion, and I think that's what, makes 1.5 degrees so important and that's what ambassador was saying that we have to bring and make a life that 1.5 degree target this is adaptation becomes less effective with more warming uh, many adaptation options that we assessed actually remain effective up to 1.5 degree and effectiveness decreases with increasing warming and that's a terrible news when we know that we collectively our ndcs are getting us to 2.7 to 3 degrees by the end of the century century and all these investments that we are making that everybody is making may not be so effective so residual impacts will remain so i'll just i i heard that uh, sounds so i'll just move to the to the next one and uh, and just skip to the next and the next thank you and the important is that we need to mitigate because beyond 1.5 degrees it's very clear that many of our adaptation will be severely constrained so we need to do Mitigation, this is our decade for mitigation, so it's really important that we focus on it, but mitigation also has several water uh, footprints, especially in terms of bioenergy crops or afforestation when done with improper species and not suitable. So these are some of the broader issues that I wanted to highlight in the context of uh, mitigation and adaptation uh, from that's coming from the IPCC's one. The good news is that when you are doing many adaptation approaches together, your effectiveness for the future is better. So one or the one or another doesn't work as well as a whole basket of technologies and options work much better. So thank you so much. And I hope I answered your question, Rula, to some extent, though I ran out of time. Thank you. You did not. Actually, this is really uh, uh, this is really good. And we and I'm really happy that you raised the issue of water for a region where water is a big uh, challenge, water scarcity, but also water quality and its uh, uh, its interplay with with food without uh, water security. You don't have uh, food security. So thank you for raising this issue loud and clear. And uh, you will be having, uh, there are a few questions dedicated to you or, or that, that uh, uh, the audience are sending to you, which I will get back to you after we complete the, the panelist intervention. So I'll ask uh, Ms. Um, uh, Dr. Reem uh, Abdel-Magid, is, she is the chairperson of the Board of Trustees, 
and uh, the Association for Sustainable Quality of Living, uh, Estidama, and uh, she is the lead for the Africa Grows Green Initiative. That sounds a very uh, interesting initiative, and we would like to hear more about it, uh, uh, Reem, during your intervention. But I'll also ask you the question, the same question, from what you've heard from okay. the panelists. Reem, can you hear me? Reem? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll get back to Reem. Let me then introduce uh, Kathleen uh, Kirsch. She is uh, the, the climate uh, integration uh, uh, lead of uh, lead office for economic growth at USAID Egypt. Uh, Kathleen, can you uh, address in the same way, where do you see the, the linkage with what we have heard from the CGIR uh, uh, senior leadership and from Egypt, where and how uh, USAID can intervene to address, uh, to bring about climate solutions? Kathleen? Oh, yes. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, Kathleen. Go ahead, please. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting question. I we were just at Cairo Water Week this week, and I think it's it's fascinating to see where we've come and in integrating and mainstreaming climate change across sectors here in Egypt. Um, you know, I think a lot of the speakers thus far have talked about the major points that we're really concerned about. Um, you know, a potential two to three degree Celsius heat rise by 2050, sea level rise, uh, heat waves, decrease in precipitation, increase in droughts, and what this means for food security. What does it mean to have increased variability in the Nile flow um, at the same time as potentially increased water demand, changes in rainfall and evaporation, changes in water availability? And I think you know, the Notre Dame Gain Index has Egypt ranked as the 83rd most vulnerable country in the world to climate change and the 129th most ready. So what does that mean? And how do we mainstream that? I, I think it's been exciting to see a lot of the, the big, which was touched on earlier, Egyptian policy changes this year um, with the new National Climate Change Strategy 2050 um, and the new nationally determined contributions for the UNFCCC. And I think food security has played a major role in both of those. Um, in the NCCS, for example, there are the five goals on climate financing, research and awareness, governance, uh, low emission growth, and, and building resilience. Um, and I think they all look kind of at broadly, you know, preserving resources um, and thinking through how to mainstream adaptation. And I also think, you know, as we look at COP this year, um, we think through, you know, how do we move from, from commitment to implementation? Um, into action? How do we look at a practitioner level on, on mainstreaming this? Um, and I do think, oh no, sorry, I just cut out. Okay, I think I'm back. Um, our agency, so at USAID, we've launched a new agency-wide strategy, which came out of some of our commitments at COP26. And I think a lot of these cross-cut with the sector, um, looking at, I think on the mitigation side, you know, launching as a USG, the Global Methane Pledge, Net Zero World, which Egypt was one of the initial 
countries on critical carbon sinks, um, but also as a government looking at aim for C. Um, so looking at, you know, with the USDA, with SPEC, um, agricultural innovation and that mission. Um, and I also think, you know, prioritizing water um, more broadly and, and water resource management um, and early warning systems through the PREPARE initiative as well. Um, I think on our, you know, climate strategy, this resilience component and food security component were key. Um, and it's exciting to see as we move to COP27, we have a number of other exciting announceables coming up over the, the next few weeks, so stay tuned. I know many people on this call are gonna be there and we're excited to see in the Seagar Hub, a lot of those announceables at the Food Pavilion more broadly. And I think, you know, I wanna highlight um, our administrators' words um, at the World Food Prize Foundation just earlier, you know, that talked about, but more than any other force, it is climate change that threatens humankind's ability to feed itself. Um, and I think we all know that according to a UN report from last year, the world now faces three times the number of extreme weather disasters each year that we did in the 1980s. Um, and those disasters hurt agriculture more than any other industry with the greatest harm caused to the poorest countries and those countries that are least responsible for climate change. Um, I think when we looked, you know, between 2008 and 2018, natural disasters alone cost LMICs more than $108 billion in crop damage, in lost harvests, um, in those thinning herds. So I think, you know, this is a, a critical area of discussion going into COP27. And I think we look forward to discussing it with all of you further. And again, moving from, you know, commitment and action to implementation, um, announceables and financing. So thank you. Thank you, Kathleen, and we look forward to hearing you and uh, uh, to listening more to uh, uh, the, the range of uh, initiatives and uh, how you're addressing this and uh, spot on uh, uh, in, in, in addressing climate change. Um, let me get back to uh, Dr. Reem abdel uh, Sorry that you were cut off. Uh, can, can you... Uh, uh, I can I can hear you well, and I think you can hear me well now, right? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. uh, please go ahead. Uh, uh, okay. The floor is yours. Thank you so much. Uh, happy to be with you. Can I just start sharing my slides, please? Okay. Uh, um, um, I'm Rima Megid, and I'm um, the founder of the Africa Grows Green. I'm the, the, the chairperson of a nonprofit association. It's called the Sustainable Quality of Living. And um, my interest in, uh, in Africa, uh, can, we, can, can we share the next slide, please? Um, I'm not sharing any new data. Of course, we know that one in five Africans goes to bed hungry and an estimated 140 million people in Africa faced acute food insecurity according to the 22, to the 22 Global Report on Food Crisis, mid-year updates. Next slide, please. Climate change is intensifying the food insecurity challenge across Africa. We have destroyed uh, crops and disrupting food transportation, challenges of uh, starvation and extinction. All that is not new for us. Next slide, please. Uh, SME's financing gap in Africa is about uh, 100 billion US dollars, and Africa will need to uh, will need over US dollar uh, three trillion in climate finance by 2030 
to achieve the goals of the 215 after 715 uh, uh, the the Paris agreement the next slide so um actually uh, in January I came up with the idea why can't we do uh, um, an award of, uh, especially that Egypt is hosting the COP27 and look and explore the uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem in Africa. What are the startups and the SMEs really doing uh, uh, to combat climate change? What are their uh, 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 solutions? What are their services? What are their challenges? Um, I wanted to look at the ecosystem also with a gender lens. Are there any uh, founders, uh, startups uh, founded by women that are interested to um, produce innovative ideas uh, and uh, um, and services and products to combat climate change or not? What what are the VCs and the angel investors? Uh, what are what kind of projects are they uh, um, attracted to? And are there adequate supply of uh, research? that has the potential to be commercialized in Africa to combat climate change or not. I have four uh, categories, the climate mitigation and adaptation technology, she goes green, research and education, and the green finance. Next, please. 52% um, of uh, the applicants uh, had innovative projects for renewable energy, and 33% We're investing in smart agriculture. And the number of applicants that applied for uh, the award were also very minimal compared to the male-founded startups and SMEs. Uh, this slide gives me some sort of hope that there is a growing interest also among VCs and among angel investors to uh, invest in smart agriculture. I can see this trend. Um, from the applications and from the portfolio of the venture capitalists and angel investors that applied in our award. So I can safely say I am a little bit optimistic on investments going to uh, entrepreneurship in climate change. Thank you. Thank you, Reem, and sorry for the inter interruption earlier no, on. I understand that you will be launching the initiative at yes, COP27, and we look forward to, uh, to being there and joining you. you. I think you. this is a very, uh, uh, very worthwhile initiative, and uh, uh, we will. Uh, and and actually, I will move straight on to uh, raise a question. Uh, to you, but also then later on ask uh, Claudia and uh, um, uh, Aditi as well and Kathleen uh, the same question probably. What is what from what we've heard? And this is an interesting question because uh, with climate change, with the COP process and the negotiation at the very at the global level, uh, people ask uh, and and one of these questions is uh, what what is the the uh, the cop negotiation and the climate change global agenda uh, bringing any changes for egypt and for africa so in in a few minutes if you can highlight this and i'll get back to 
the other panelists and uh, also the uh, the speakers who made the presentation. Okay, this question is for me first. Yes, oh, go okay. ahead, uh, Reem. I think I, th I think from uh, uh, from joining a lot of uh, the uh, discussion, the earlier uh, discussions with the team uh, of uh, the Ministry of Environment and the Ministry of Trade and Industry, uh, and um, I'm involved with several actually projects in COP27 this year. I can see that they are going to press for uh, um, more commitments from the side because uh, I think that we were disappointed all the global south was disappointed from glasgow last year so i think there will be more pressure and with the uh, uh the geopolitical uh, uh, circumstances and with the uh, uh, adversity of the economic situation that all the underdeveloped the underdeveloped countries and the global south are going through i think there will be more uh, i expect negotiations will be fierce this year in cop 27 uh, okay, same uh, same question actually for for Claudia. What is uh, what can uh, uh, the lay person in Egypt and in Africa expect from uh, uh, the the results of COP twenty seven? Claudia, can can yeah. you hear now the question? Yes, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good now. Yeah. So I would say just compared to just one year ago. Um, high income high income countries have experienced so much more negative climate Im impact this year, uh, just over the last 12 months than you know to some extent ever before and the impacts are much more extreme now you know everywhere else as well, so if it's you know hot in Europe, you can imagine it's very, very, very hot and very, very, very dry in Africa i'm, I'm just been to Kenya I'm now in Uganda. It's uh, yeah, so these impacts are just more extreme than ever before. So I think uh, it's not only what they can expect. I think what I mean, there's an urgency for serious commitment for the collective to finally come together and to actually work jointly towards climate action, starting with uh, eliminating fossil fuel subsidies, make make some serious signs like eliminate them you know, from one day to the other. I mean, just some serious signs, serious signs about the importance of food security serious signs about, for example, women farmers as, as the main food producers in, in Africa, make some serious signals that uh, and come together. I think that's nothing less, nothing less is, is what at least the low and middle income countries and will expect. And I think they expect yet more. And I, I hope that the world does come together this time around to to to, to move to you know, make some forward some signals and also some investments that go in the right direction. I think we just can't wait any longer. Yes. Claudia, I have a follow-up question to you from uh, um, from um, Abdel Radi Mohammed. He's saying, is the decrease in Egypt's food imports uh, by 27% a result of better water management or which other measures uh, are needed? Yeah, in fact, so it's a combination. Uh, I've, I've been trying to say if only Egypt is serious about climate change adaptation and mitigation, um, they can reduce their food import bill. But in part, it's because the food prices are so high. Uh, so they're, they're just importing less because they're consuming less expensive food, right? So they go more for the cheaper food. So that's part of it. But the other part really is this combination 
of advanced C technologies. So being you know, very serious in rolling out um, both on the te technology side, the water management side, and also some of the agronomic practices. So the, the, these um, yeah, three things have to come together, water management, C technologies, um, and agronomic practices. And actually also, as others have already said, there, there's much more that can be done on the mitigation side from, from the renewable energy side in Egypt. Only when these technologies come together, actually when we're at the high adaptation level, will we see these declines in imports, but in part they're due to uh, Egyptian consumers not being able to afford uh, the same quality of food that they are currently affording. Thank you, thank you, Claudia. Um, Aditi, um, food crisis and, and given your work with the IPCC and uh, given your work on uh, uh, water as being a challenge for this region, but in many other parts of the world, is um, um, what are the best solutions for poor people who live in, uh, uh, in vulnerable area, vulnerable regions, but also um, in, in war zones um, and, uh, and who are suffering the impact of climate change? Right. Um, well, that's, that's, I think, an incredibly important question. And the IPCC report also assesses some of the literature around conflicts and, and its relation to climate change. Um, uh, two points here. I think um, what's also became increasingly important and will be uh, quite uh, an important topic in the COP this time would be the issue of losses and damages. And a part of the losses and damages would loss and damage uh, would be also related a lot to the loss and damage to the food systems to, you know, when we have those kind of devastating floods and droughts of the kind of losses that we see. And the good thing is that the science now is advanced enough to attribute those losses and damages to climate change. So we can now actually say that for recent uh, floods in unprecedented floods in Pakistan, it became much more, I think, around 30 percent or so more likely because of climate change. Without climate change, it would have been less likely. So I think those kind of development in science is something that really gives a very good tool to countries in the global south to make their case that there would be these kind of losses and damages attributable to climate change. And that kind of then relates to many other things, to conflicts, to those vulnerable communities. So I feel that finance and I know all of us feel similarly in the room perhaps that finance is that one key thing that needs to now come out and IPCC report the working group two report in which I was involved clearly says this last line of the summary for policymakers says that the 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 window for for uh, the window for action is like rapidly closing so it says the scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well-being and the health of the planet. Any further delay in concerted global action will miss the brief, rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. I mean, I don't know how scientists could be any clearer than this. And this is the decade for action. This is when we have to do mitigation. This is when we have to come down by whatever 45, 50%. Otherwise, we are nowhere in track for 1.5 degree and not being 1.5 degree it will be very hard for some of these countries in the tropics, for the small island countries, for the mountain countries. So I'll stop there. I think the solution really is an equal focus on mitigation and adaptation and increased finance. Um, 
uh, Aditi, you've, I think the IPCC reports have been very clear and increasingly showing the urgency of the matter. And there has been a lot of, of uh, voices saying this is not an alarmist situation, but uh, it is uh, climate change is happening and it is happening fast and more than uh, uh, what we were expecting. What is still more needed from the science and from the knowledge to bridge that gap and push for more action? I think uh, in some ways you can almost say that there, there is no longer need to wait for any more scientific evidence to start action. There is enough evidence out there for policymakers and the governments to start action. That's one part, but the other part of it is still that what actions are the best actions or what actions will work under what circumstances. That's where scientists have still a huge role to play. And mm -hmm. I think the role of more policy oriented social scientists in some ways, I think the physical science of climate change is more, is settled. But how do you actually derive on those solutions? How do you actually mitigate in a way that doesn't harm the most vulnerable? How do you adapt in a way that doesn't harm the most vulnerable? Those are the kind of important policy and research questions that we scientists need to answer. And I think CGIR is doing precisely that. Those questions of policy and governance, as the ambassador also talked about, I think those remain open questions, open scientific questions still. Thank you, Aditi. We before there are a few questions addressed to Claudia specifically, but before I get to that, let me ask the same question um, to to Kathleen. Uh, what we we hear increasingly of the need for finance that that we need commitment from policymaker, from finance, from donors to uh, really address the challenges of climate change. From USAID, from your background, uh, Kathleen, what can you say, what can be done more to uh, uh, upscale the agenda on climate change, to raise the ambition, uh, to, to get really action that is uh, transformative and beyond just pilot uh, uh, initiatives? Kathleen? Okay, can I ask this question then to, to Reem? And uh, Reem, if you can also, in, in addressing this question of what could be done to upscale, uh, also mention the role that the private sector can play in this respect. Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question again, please? Reem, the question is, in uh, uh, we know that now that we know the science is there, the knowledge is there, right but uh, still the 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 action is not up to the level of ambition what is needed to generate more finance and commitment to and, and among policymakers and uh, to to generate more finance in that respect and what role the private sector could play in in this respect okay finance is only uh when i talk about finance I am referring to the banks. I am referring to the private financing institutions. Okay, uh, so I am referring to banks. I'm referring to venture capitalists. I'm referring to angel investors. They are attracted uh, to profit-making uh, solutions and innovations. I mean, that's the only 
that that's that's the only um, way how they are going to be uh, investing. It's it's a profit and a loss issue. If he can make money out of the the startup, he will uh, he will invest in it. Thank you, Reem. Thank you. Um, and uh, again, you know, I, I think there are uh, probably one needs to look also at uh, how can you get the, the private sector more engaged in adaptation project. It is maybe much easier, we know it, in, in getting them involved in mitigation projects, but how can you get them more involved in the adaptation projects? Over. Can you hear me? Reem? Okay, the, the, the screen uh, is, has frozen again. Let me turn to Claudia. Uh, Claudia, there are a number of questions uh, to you. Claudia, can you hear me? Yep, Claudia, sure. are you online? Yes, sorry. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, can you give um, uh, your... No, sorry. Uh, can you um, mention uh, the, the rates that are mentioned of the level of emission in agriculture concerning Africa? Uh, uh, are they global rates or Africa only rates? So, so Africa, so actually globally, Africa has very, very low emissions. It only accounts for about 4% of global emissions, you know, compared mm. to its substantial population. But in agriculture, emissions are actually quite large. So Africa's total agriculture emissions are estimated between, you know, 18 to, to 25% of total agriculture emissions. And that is because we have very extensive agriculture practices. Here mm. the productivity levels are very low. We're actually not using enough fertilizers and we keep cutting down tropical forests. So that's actually the first action in Africa to reduce um, unnecessary emissions, really totally unnecessary, is to intensify agriculture and stop tropical deforestation, um, especially in the Congo Basin. So it could make a okay. big difference there. Thank you. Um, uh, one more question on, uh, just one second, Claudia. Um, okay. Um, is the experience of Egypt in dealing with uh, salinization on, uh, on the COP uh, agenda? And uh, an enormous, uh, this is an enormous challenge in many countries, and uh, yet an underestimated one. What's your uh, take on that? And actually, I will also ask that same question to Aditi after you. Okay. I, my, my understanding is we are a bit out of time, so actually I'll pass this one on to Aditi for a very quick response. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Aditi. Aditi? Yeah. Um, very briefly, because, yeah, before we yeah. move to the closing. Sorry, uh, sorry, can you can you repeat the question? I'm, I'm so sorry. Okay, is the, the experience of Egypt in dealing with the salinization on the COP agenda? And uh, this is an enormous uh, challenge in many countries, but it's still under uh, underreported and underestimated. What's your take on that, Aditi? Yeah, uh, I am not aware if it is on the COP agenda. If it isn't, it should be. I, I'm sure the ambassador would have known better. But salinization and heat 
heat cost salinization. These are going to be two main challenges that Egypt faces along with some other countries that are very highly dependent on surface sources of irrigation. So I don't know the answer, but the if it's if it's it should totally be on the agenda. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, I think we're running out of time. Uh, unfortunately, there are a number of questions that are still uh, that have been raised, and uh, uh, and I think maybe we can engage with the with the speakers and the panelists on bilateral uh, basis later on. The uh, the the presentations will be posted uh, online. Let me now uh, turn to uh, Michael to to make uh, maybe to to wrap up. Uh, I I know it might be very difficult to uh, to capture all the great uh, yeah, the the concern, the issues raised and the good ideas, but uh, that's uh, we yeah, it's in your good able hands, uh, Michael. Okay, thank you, thank you, Rula, and let me let me have a shot at <coughs> shot at it. Um, so the, the ambassador, uh, Ayman, he uh, <clears throat> talked to us about uh, the two initiatives that we that will be launched at, uh, at COP and the preparation for this one. I mean, uh, how the discussions with uh, FAO and the CGR, CGIAR uh, have already taken place. And uh, so that's good to know. And for all uh, for all uh, people that uh, will attend COP, <clears throat> so uh, there are you know the possibilities, I mean, to further discuss and to get more insights. So that's uh, that's good. Uh, he mentioned also a couple of other initiatives that uh, <clears throat> that are ongoing, uh, like uh, uh, which I'm not very familiar with, uh, like ICANN on nutrition and health, and uh, and the one that uh, related to the resilient cities. So uh, <clears throat> so uh, just to say, there's a lot of uh, there there are a lot of initiatives ongoing, and uh, uh, and and we will hear more about <clears throat> these ones in, in the COP. To the presentation of uh, 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 Claudia, um, 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 of course, it uh, was quite enlightening. Enlightening to see um, that uh, if you look at the, the crop portfolio, there are uh, dif huge differences between crops that are affected by climate change, and uh, um, um, so I'm happy. I'm not that I'm happy to see uh, to see, but uh, in my real life, I'm a wheat breeder, and uh, so uh, uh, from from her statistics to see that wheat is the one of the least affected crops by the climate change, and uh, uh, knowing that uh, already Egypt is taking uh, is aware of this rather than taking place uh, uh, measures to uh, uh, expand the wheat production. Um, <clears throat> Um, Egypt, uh, as we know, uh, imports about 50% uh, or more than 50% of its uh, food needs. Uh, so the same with wheat, uh, um, it imports 50% of the wheat. And uh, But this year, uh, next year, it has expanded uh, um, uh, the new reclaimed lands uh, to, uh, to the extent of uh, uh, 2 million fedans, which is about 660,000 hectares, and uh, largely grown to wheat. Um, so uh, and and of course, if we if we look into the opportunities here, is really uh, to see I mean uh, crops that are less affected by climate change, such as wheat. And the other was uh, root and tuber crops. So potatoes is also uh, and uh, sweet potatoes, 
their their potentials for for expansion while uh, especially the so-called c4 crops like maize rice um, are, are somewhat more affected by the climate change and uh, so uh, but here are the potentials for for shift in the in the crop calendar and uh, to adjust uh, to uh, to to the climate i mean to the uh, climate mitigation um, <clears throat> Um, also, uh, as was said, I mean, there are a number of uh, measures um, uh, um, uh, uh, in the cli uh, climate adaptation um, to be, be introduced in order to, uh, um, um, to, to address the climate change, such as, such as uh, looking into the soil fertility, uh, largely what we call uh, closing the yield gap. I mean, the, the difference between uh, a potential yield and, uh, um, and the realized uh, uh, yield. So by uh, by uh, um, uh, by using measures such as crop protection, as uh, land leveling, as uh, 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 irrigation scheduling, uh, in order to uh, um, to increase uh, the productivity, Egyptian president, uh, presidency or the Ministry of Agriculture has already taken um, care uh, to some extent. For instance, uh, in this year, by this year, promoting the use of certified seeds. As, a, as one of the measures really to uh, try to close close the yield gap. And uh, so, um, and uh, uh, as Claudia was uh, referring to the stacked technologies. So if you put them all together, then uh, uh, then you are able to save on the 27% uh, um, <clears throat> uh, cost or uh, uh, yield gap. Um, um, uh, water, I mean, uh, Aditi uh, uh, um, from IMI, she reported about uh, uh, water, the water issues uh, that, uh, and water adaptation that uh, um, that uh, can take place uh, uh, across the agriculture um, sec Michael, sector. Michael, yeah, you, you need to, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you're very brief. I'm almost done. Um, yeah. uh, salinity, salinity was uh, mentioned. If, if that's on the agenda, even if it's not, uh, it's being, um, of course, it's being addressed uh, um, by management practices, uh, largely speaking. Um, so uh, better irrigation uh, schemes, but also from the plant breeding, crop breeding side. I mean, um, there's there's quite a bit of experience with uh, um, breeding for. Uh, uh, more uh, salinity tolerant tolerant crops, and there's a lot of experience uh, maybe in uh, Central Asia uh, <clears throat> with this topic, and uh, uh, but of, of course also in Egypt. And uh, so I'm uh, uh, I'm not afraid. I mean that's that's an area which uh, definitely needs to be looked at in in the coming years. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. That's, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. A big thank you to uh, the speakers, the panelists, the scientists, uh, and the particular thanks to uh, Ambassador Ayman Tarwat, who has uh, found the time, who has al allowed the, from his busy schedule the time to come and join us and uh, tell us about the priorities and the, the thematic uh, uh, days and the launch of the uh, of fast and other uh, initiatives um, thank you all and thanks to all the participants and please join us at the ifpris next seminar on october 26 on ensuring a focus on women and girls uh, in the global food crisis response thank you again and have a good uh, uh, afternoon good day good evening
Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.